Welcome back to Talk Green to Me, a podcast about materials and sustainability. Today, we're continuing our discussion on composting. Last episode, we spoke to Ben Perry, the CEO of Compost Crew, which is a compost collecting company. And this week, we spoke to an expert about composting to get a better idea of how people can do this in an apartment or home. You mean I can make my own dirt at home? Yep, and Corinne Coe, the co-founder and director of Terra Nova Compost, is here to tell us how. You can put a whole lot of effort into it, or you can put almost no effort into it, and they both work just the same. So Manali, what did you learn from last time? I learned that organic waste turns into compost. Okay, but how? So you collect all the organic matter and you put it into some sort of enclosed bin and then you add moisture and let the material get air for oxygen and then the microorganisms start breaking things down which generates heat and everything decomposes. Usually just food waste won't make good compost though. You also need some dry matter like leaves and twigs. Yet yeah, another thing trees are good for, lignin, cellulose, and now compost. Those trees sure dig their roots into everything. And you also need to mix the material around a little bit to get the bacteria moving and everything well aerated. Right, and then once all the decomposition is complete, you end up with compost, which basically looks like dirt or soil. It's actually a very highly nutritious soil, and you can add it back into your garden or your yard. Awesome. I better start collecting my food waste to make some good dirt. And in the meantime, let's get to our discussion with Corinne from Terra Nova Compost. You've had all these experiences with um, composting, like doing either teaching or actually building these bins. How did you kind of get into it? That's a great question that I love to answer. I was living in San Francisco. I was married at the time, and I had a very successful corporate career. But it was never really me, like who I am as a person. So after we sort of got our footing in California, my ex-husband and I, I was like, Mike, I hate my job. And we have money. Can I quit? And he said, sure, babe, whatever you want. And I did. And I started gardening. I joined two community gardens in my neighborhood. And I met some people. I started volunteering. I was like working with kids, teaching gardening. Long story short, I hooked up with these people and this guy was like, hey, you should take this program. It was basically like a compost educator program. And it was funded by San Francisco's Public Utilities Commission that picks up the trash. Even back then, 15 years ago, San Francisco required composting from residents. So I took that class. And I really didn't know very much about composting at the time. I knew it was a thing. So I absolutely knew that putting organic materials into a landfill created methane. So I took this course and I started making compost. Um, and then you had to do like uh, volunteer hours after the course ended. You could either like work on a compost project, build a bin, blah, 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 or start teaching composting. And I started teaching composting back when I like really didn't know that much about it. And that, that sort of steamrolled into a lot of other things. Is one of those things Terra Nova Compost? How did that come about? I got to Atlanta, 
and everyone was like, urban agriculture, urban agriculture, urban agriculture. And I was like, these people aren't talking about composting. You cannot have agriculture without composting. So I was like, I'm going to start a composting business. And that's exactly what I did with three other farmers because they understood the need for it. The four of us came together and founded Terra Nova Compost. And at first, we really didn't know what we were doing. We were like, are we collecting? Are we processing? And it quickly became clear to me that what I wanted to do was teach. The first year was kind of like, what are we doing? And the second year was like, okay, we're going to teach workshops, teach classes, and consult. What do you specifically teach and consult on? I, I practice and teach thermophilic aerobic composting which means heat loving and air needing or air breathing composting. So what do you need for this kind of composting? Every compost pile is different based on what went into it, right? The actual organic materials, how much air it has, which is a function partially of the type of materials that went into the pile, how much water is in the pile, which is partially a function again of the materials that went in, but typically, you're going to need to add water to a compost pile, and it needs to have oxygen. The microclimate, the climate and the microclimate of that particular pile, maybe it's under a really dense tree, so it doesn't get a lot of rain. So all of those things are going to make each compost pile different, and that's part of what I find interesting and exciting about it. How, how does the process work? Basically, in a compost pile, you're trying to build a very nice hotel for the microorganisms and some macroorganisms like pill bugs and worms and centipedes and millipedes and beetles. And then you're just letting them live. The macroorganisms are typically there during the cooler periods. They like similar temperatures to human beings. And they're like physical decomposers because they're larger. They have teeth, some of them, but they physically start to tear apart the material. That first physical shredding or chewing or whatever of the material helps the microorganisms access it because the more surface area there is to any given piece of organic material, the more area there is for those microbes to work on it. And so these microorganisms, bacteria, fungi, they eat. And when they eat, they're breaking down that material. They reproduce. And when they reproduce, when they're moving around, when they're eating, they're creating the heat that comes from a thermophilic compost pile. Okay, so you have heat and water. What else do you need to add? Anybody that composts will tell you that they either have a recipe or they know that they should like what things they know in terms of feeding the compost that'll work for them. Absolutely. That's exactly what it means. You can basically break these organic materials down into two categories, and they're either carbon-rich or they're nitrogen-rich. So the carbon-rich ones we call browns, and the nitrogen-rich materials we call greens. And when you mix these two things together at the right ratio, you're basically giving microorganisms a full diet. So there's two things that you're doing. One, you're giving the microorganisms what they need to actually thrive. And two, totally separate from them, just for us, mixing greens and browns at the right ratio means that you don't have to add more water than is necessary. 
Are there some things that are more or less compostable? I'm not going to say that anything is more compostable than anything else. Some things compost faster than others. So that could be a good thing or a bad thing. Something like lettuce, you know, you leave a few lettuce leaves in the bottom drawer of your refrigerator for too long. You open that drawer up and it's a puddle. And the reason is these types of materials are full of water and they will break down very quickly. So to say that something composts quickly, you could think, oh, that's fantastic. And it is. But at the same time, if everything in your compost pile has the constitution of a lettuce leaf, you can imagine that very quickly your compost pile is going to be very wet and very smelly. But microorganisms are just like us. They need water to live, but they can also drown. That's really interesting. I wouldn't have thought compost could be too wet. What are some of the composting misconceptions you've come across? People often think that it stinks. Well, if it stinks, you're doing it wrong. And that's, that's a big one. That's a big reason why people don't do it. They just throw all their food scraps into a bin, only food scraps, which mostly are green materials, nitrogen-rich materials, and they're wet. And when they start to rot, the cell walls explode and they're rotting. So sure, they're going to put off some odor. Oh, yeah, that makes sense. Um, rotting is not the same as composting. And people often think, oh, well, it, you know, it gets hot and that heat cooks the material. Well, you could take five gallons of food scraps or a gallon of food scraps and throw them in a cast iron skillet and put them in the oven and heat it up to 300 degrees. You are not going to get compost. In terms of like starting something like this or doing something like this in apartments, is that mm -hmm. at all feasible? So it is possible, but it's a different kind of composting altogether. So um, it's kind of embarrassing. I have three compost bins in my front hallway in my apartment here in New York City, but they're worm bins. So that's vermicompost or vermiculture. Okay. And um, anything that I can put into those three worm bins, and I don't need three. The truth is sometimes I go to the produce market by my house and I buy their $1 bags of old food because I personally don't make enough food waste to feed all of my worms. So that's not ideal. But you can compost inside any apartment with a worm bin with no smell and no pests and kids love it. I love it. Worms are super cool. Um, but then there are some things that worms don't like or they don't want too much of. And those things I take to, it's a New York City program called the New York City Compost Project, and they have drop-off sites. Sounds like it's fairly easy to get started. How do you feel about compostable plastics? So there are so many different kinds of supposedly compostable plastics on the market now. There is an organization that is fully dedicated to just researching compostable plastics for the compost industry, right? have used compostable bags in the past, and I don't advocate for their use in a home composting system. I also wouldn't say that you should put bones in a home composting system unless you really know what you're doing. Oh, why specifically not in home composting? In home-scale composting, you're typically going to use that compost in your own garden, and you're typically not going to reach the temperatures that a commercial-scale facility can reach. So my concern 
in a backyard pile is that you're getting micro, even if it's compostable, micro compostable plastics that are going back into your garden. Along the lines of people who might think compost is gross or smells bad, how do you convince someone who has no knowledge about composting? You have to meet people where they are, right? Like someone can say, I don't want to do this. And if you force them to do it, they're not going to, they're not going to have a good result. So you have, to, you have to get people to understand why it's important. And then if these people care, which I'd like to think that most people care, if they understand scientifically, socially, environmentally, whatever, why composting is actually critical to life on this planet, then they kind of have to say to themselves, this is critical. I have to do it. And then they're like, okay, what's the easiest way? What's the best way for me? Where am I going to do it? What am I going to compost, et cetera, et cetera. What's been something you've really liked about teaching composting? The thing that gets me excited is getting not only like people like you two excited about it, but I think it's really important to get rural subsistence farmers into it because they are the folks that are most affected by climate change and in a lot of ways least able to handle it. But by putting organic matter through compost back into your soil, you're doing so many of the things that are going to help you mitigate climate change on your farm. I can say that's fascinating. I never really thought about, I just never thought about it in a more global perspective. And I think that's fascinating. I will also say on that note, internationally, most farmers that I've worked with use manure, right? Cow manure, goat manure, chicken manure, whatever it is in their gardens. And they sort of think of it or liken it to composting but they're not actually composting the material, but they are reusing it, which is huge and important. And one of the things that I try to um, impress upon very, 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 very poor, basically subsistence farmers, um, whenever I teach, is that you're going to actually get more value out of it by composting that manure. Because typically farmers just dry it out, which is very easy, and it still has a lot of nutrients in it. But by composting it with other materials, you're going to get something more robust at the end, even if you do have to put in a little bit more effort. And we always end our interviews with a fun fact. And you've already given us a ton, but do you have a fun fact about composting you want to end with? My fun fact is that if you had in your hand a small handful of finished compost or healthy soil, which would include a lot of organic matter because that's what makes soil healthy, one of the things that makes soil healthy. If you had a handful of compost, you're going to have in your hand more microbes, more microorganisms than there are people on this planet today. So even a teaspoon of compost has more than 9 billion microorganisms living inside of it. Thank you for taking the time to talk to us. It's been great. No problem. Definitely been great. Yeah. This episode was produced by Manali Banerjee and Nasreen Khan. It was edited by Nasreen Khan and Manali Banerjee. A music by Sassy Boy Records. Follow us on Twitter and Instagram at TGTM Podcast or email us at talkgreentomepodcast at gmail.com. <laughs>